Welcome back to yet another episode of Behind the Lens, or as I like to call it, Behind the Lens in during the time of COVID. Uh, I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with all the movers and shakers and TV and filmmakers talking about film, television, uh, sometimes even music and books with directors, writers, producers, cinematographers, production designers, uh, composers, costumers, uh, video editors, sound editors, sound mixers, and and of course, actors. Um, we've been trying to keep you entertained with live guests every week. Uh, so far in what, week, week six, Pam? Week seven? Something like that. My trusty engineer, Pam, is sitting in the booth. And yes, we are separated by a wonderful, a wonderful uh, soundproof and bulletproof glass. It's lovely. Uh, so we're not spreading germs anywhere. But... Uh, but enough people are out there spreading them. Moderation. Common sense, people. Common sense. 40,000 of you did not need to go to Newport Beach this weekend. Um, but have some wonderful guests today. Uh, Writer-director Sean McEwen will be joining us short within the next few minutes to talk about his new film, Breaking for Whales. Uh, I am charmed by this film. Uh, it is not a film for everyone. There is a good deal of political incorrectness as a means of, of commentary, perhaps. But it's a story of a brother and a sister. Siblings who are not that close, but are def definitely care about each other. And uh, that's buoyed by a great chemistry with Tom Felton. And uh, Tamin, uh, Tamin or Tamin, I'm sure Sean will correct me on that pronunciation, Sursok, um, as the brother and sister who have now been forced to come together because of their mother's passing. And they have to go on a road trip to fulfill her final, her final wishes if they want to get their inheritance. Uh, so much of this, so much of the dynamic that we see on screen, I definitely related to with my own family. Uh, so I can't wait to talk to Sean about the film. And then, very, very somber, sobering film. We're going to talk about a short film called Untreated with writer and co-director Paul Pompa. Uh, a short film uh, that through a lens of understanding and powerlessness looks at addiction. Uh, it, some wonderful production values, uh, as well as some really fantastic performances. So I can't wait to talk to Paul. And he has a very interesting story of his own on the journey that he has taken uh, to be making films now. So very anxious to talk to him and very anxious to talk to Sean as well about Breaking for Whales. But Big thing right now, are you running out of things to watch? Are you running out of ways to keep your time occupied? Well, first of all, anybody, if you've got Netflix and you haven't seen it, you got to see it. Extraction. Chris Hemsworth's new action film. It is produced by none other than the Russo brothers. It is killer. It is so good. Uh, and a lot of people are saying, oh, Chris Hemsworth, an action hero. Um, does anybody know who Thor is? Um, he has long been an action hero in my book. Uh, but if you haven't seen it, check that out. It's wonderful. And, of course, a favorite film of mine and a favorite director who just passed this weekend, Peter Hunt. Uh, he directed, produced the stage play and the film 1776 with William Daniels, Howard De Silva, Ken Howard, Blythe Danner. Um, and it's a musical that looks at the founding of our country and our founding fathers, a film that is perhaps more timely now than it has been since the bicentennial in 1976. Um, see it. It's wonderful. 
It is a truly wonderful film. And see the restored version that has the cool, considerate men number in it, which when the film came out, Richard Nixon did not want in the film and Warner's acquiesced to him. Uh, But without any further ado, we're going to switch gears here. At the end of the show, I'll have more, more films that you may want to take a look at to fill your time uh, during quarantine. But right now, very excited to welcome Sean McEwen to the show. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you? So nice to meet you over the phone. Oh, it is so nice to meet you, especially after seeing Breaking for Whales. I oh, thank you. You're so sweet. Oh, my God. Sean, this film immediately spoke to me um, with the sibling uh, chemistry, the sibling rivalry, the uh, repartee between uh, the two siblings, Brandon and Star. And it automatically made me think of my one brother's wedding probably 25, 28 years ago. And sure. we have all, we <laughs> snipe. My siblings and I have always sniped just the way Brandon and Star do in the film. And at my brother's oh, wedding, <laughs> somebody actually said to my dad, he goes, my God, they hate each other. How do you put up with it? He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, if they didn't do this, I would worry. This is how they communicate. And sure. It's a, it's a fine line between love and hate, isn't it? Oh, my God. So seeing this, uh, this relationship, this dynamic unfold on screen, it touched my heart. Um, because what other people are seeing and even how the, the siblings are each interpreting something, at the end of the day, they're still siblings. And the fact you set this on a road Absolutely. trip and you force them to be together... Um, my dad did that with the first version of his will. He na- he named my one brother and me as his co-executors. I said, "Oh my goodness!" I said, "Why did well, you?" This is based on your life. I said, "Why did you do this?" And he goes, "Well, that- I know." He goes, "Well, I know. Then you'll always have to talk to each other." And he eventually changed it because I was out of state. But I'm like, great reasoning. And then I'm watching all of this unfold in this film, and I'm like, oh, my God, does Sean know my father? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, where, and you co-wrote this with your lovely wife, who also stars in the film. Sure. Where did this idea come in, how did it come into being, for the two of you, I don't know, or, uh, you know, you were one of the producers on Bernie, which is still one of my favorite dark comedies oh, around. Uh, and I'm wondering, okay, does Sean, does he like death? You know, what's, what's, <laughs> <laughs> death? yes, I love death. I'm obsessed with death. No, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. But I think, look, I mean, you bring up a very good point. I think that's a part of life. Yeah. And, um, and I think we've all can uh, pull from our own experiences uh, unfortunately, having to deal with that fact of life, that it um, impacts our lives in many different ways from a familial standpoint. I mean, sometimes it brings out the worst in us, the best in us, the worst in us um, from a family perspective. And I think that's always sort of a unique sort of um, petri dish to kind of explore, um, if you will. But um, I mean, literally, this this came about. Um, you know, we funnily, there's almost like a two part answer to that. One is. I was on an airplane, of all places, from Missouri back to Los Angeles, where I reside, and I was sitting on this on the airplane, and um, this this young woman um, who kind of came on the airplane like a tornado, and she was literally climbing over people to get to her seat and to get into this the section that I was sitting in, and she dumped her purse out and had all these like crazy things in it, and she was very eccentric, and before the plane was even taking off, she was ordering drinks, and she was talking to everybody around her, and she just was, as we say, I, I'm from Missouri myself, and we say blown in a going. She was definitely just, uh, like, you know, like, a, like I said, a tornado, and I thought she was such an interesting character, and I remember just kind of like putting that in the back of my head and thought, oh my gosh, if you met somebody like this, who would, who would this person be? What is her backstory? What would she be like? And how would she interface with the world around her or maybe even her family? It was just kind of filed away. And then the second part uh, to answer your question is that I think for Tam and I, we were looking to explore, you know, bringing two people together that were really having, dealing with their own issues in their lives, very dysfunctional uh, to say the least, um, polar opposites, a brother and sister who are, like you just said, 
wonderfully, like brought together uh, over their mother's passing and forced to deal with each other. Two people who are very disconnected from each other, uh, from the other people in their lives, and from themselves, and see it in, in some form or fashion through the little journey of this film that we can have them find connection in all of those categories. So essentially, that's that's kind of how it came about. Was the wellspring for exploration for this? Well, and and you tackle so many different elements of life in addition to mortality, and the fact that okay, we're siblings, we have to go on this road trip. We have to do this. Um, right. I could feel the gritting teeth watching this, um, but it's the journey of self discovery for each of them, and it's also finding commonality while also embracing differences and you really it really all comes together in a great scene involving uncle randall and aunt jackie played by the impeccably flawless david ketchner and wendy mcclendon covey um it is so politically incorrect uh, but what it also it serves a very key point in this journey in this road trip that brandon and star go on in that it actually shows them, okay, how much alike, what the commonality that they each have, that they have with each other as brother and sister, versus with the rest of the family. Um, but for Aunt Jackie's obsession with George W., as is Star's obsession. <laughs> so, but I thought that was so keenly written and inserted in here because there's a shift in the sibling dynamic with that scene right after that. And I really appreciated the depth that that brings to this story. Oh, well, thank you. I think, um, I mean, look, you know, you, you, you put these sort of, you know, obstacles and roadblocks into the story, but also hoping that each one of those sort of guideposts along the way inform the characters and, you know, add to their, you know, experience and hopefully their overall change by the time they get to the end of the story. And I think this one is an important one. I mean, just for some context, yeah, I mean, essentially, as I said, you know, Brandon and Star brought together over their mother's passing, and, um, you know, they both are in need of, uh, you know, financial assistance, not that their mother had much to leave them, but in the small them, you know, um, it is important for them to have that to kind of fix their lives in various ways. And but yet there's the edict that she leaves them, which is, of course, you know, that her ashes must be delivered in this very unique way. And um, and that sets us on this road trip in this old Winnebago, um, you know, from essentially Iowa down to uh, Texas. Um, and without giving too much away, you know, they do. They stop at the, their aunt's house and they have this experience in speaking, uh, you know, and interfacing with their aunt and uncle who are very different to them. But the, the point of that and, and what you said so well, Debbie, is that they they I think it's the first moment that they find their own way of galvanizing and unifying together, mm-hmm. because as much as there's the, the brother and the sister, Brandon, are still aren't getting along, they do start to realize that they're 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 cut from the same cloth. They are they were the sort of. Their, that side of the family was the, the you know, the, I hate to use this term, the black sheep of the family, the, the, the outliers of the family, and that, you know, they, they bring their own unique perspectives into things, and there is something similar um, in their experiences together, and that brings them together. It's, it's that thing where, like, you know, you, you know, I can say something not great or negative about my family, but nobody else can. I think when um, the aunt brings up things about her own sister, which is their mother, I think that, again, strikes them and, and kind of solidifies a little bit more of their bond and forces them to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent, Sean. And it's so, and the dialogue is so natural. That's one of the great things throughout the entire film. And I know a lot of this is due to the incredible performances from Tom Felton, of all people, and oh, Tamin Sursak. Um the dialogue is so natural, it is so organic, it is so free-flowing. How much of that was on the page, and how much latitude did you give Tom and Tamman to really play? Um, because there's so much Tamman continually as Star, putting her feet up, bare feet up on the dashboard in the car, and I can't tell you how many times I was chastised for doing that in my life. Um, Amazing. So, but the way they go back and forth 
and it's so effortless. So was it all on the page? Did you just let them give them guidance and then let them kind of have at it? I mean, listen, I think, you know, my, my work and how I like to work from script perspective is, you know, um, and, and I'm definitely making a very high pollutant comparison, but it goes back to the plays of the thing, and it's all in the book, if you will, and mm-hmm. put it on the page. But that being said, I, I absolutely do think that if you're working with talented people, like I was extremely blessed to do with all the names that you've mentioned that are, you know, can bring much more to the table than I could ever imagine um, and make things so much better than I could ever uh, execute, you let them fly and have their, their opportunity to do so, and, and we did. Um, so, yes, you know, is, is it on the page? Absolutely. But letting them have the moment to improvise. And when you have, like you said, um, you know, amazing comedic veterans like, you know, Wendy and David in particular, and then Tom and Tamman who just really brought it, they were all, you know, so prepared and so invested and just, you know, drove the story and understood what, what, what we were trying to do here. But also, you know, you let them, you let them fly, let them do their thing because that's when that gold happens. And there's, there's definitely some very improvised moments that are, I, you know, I'm going to say are the best moments in the entire film. Mm-hmm. What led you to Tom Felton? I mean, some, Tom, I have loved watching him over the years, leaving his Draco Malfoy persona behind. And he takes, he gets into these little indie films and he becomes chameleonic, and he strips everything away, and he really lets you see there's a bare essence to him. And you look at him now that he's older, and I think more so with Tom versus Daniel Radcliffe, um, since they they came up the, the pipes together, you see life on his face when you look at him. And embracing a role like Brandon... Um, you, there is so much emotion and so much self-discovery that he's going on, but he's stripped bare here. And I'm curious, what led you to go after Tom for this one? Well, I think it's, I think it's just like you said, I think, you know, I've always been a fan of his work and especially his work that, um, you know, is more on the indie side, yeah. um, which is, you know, a departure from what a lot of people know of him. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, obviously just to, to kind of put it out there, you know, he's, you know, very distinctly imprinted into the Harry Potter, you know, lexicon. Um, but, you know, Tom is a very diverse actor and um, very, very talented. And one of our producers, uh, Marone Mogos, was very kind to uh, lead us to um, this inspiration. Uh, she had worked with his um, reps, his representatives uh, previously. And, um, you know, we were, we were fortunate to get some, uh, you know, shall I say, and I'm, I'm happy to, to reveal this and inside intel that he might be looking for something that he could really sink his teeth into that was like this. So the stars did, did align in that sense. And um, and I think that's the whole point. I think um, there are certain actors, Tom being one, that just bring such a depth to what they're doing. And and look, this is a, you know, this film, and, and let's just call it what it is, you know, it, it, it's everything that makes it unique makes it also sometimes, you know, hard to swallow, shall we mm-hmm. say, because yeah. it does... It's a very fine line, Debbie, between the whole, you know, the, the, the comedy that almost could be somewhat broad in a sense. Even that scene with uh, David and Wendy with mm-hmm. the uncle, you know, it starts out, you know, sort of high comedy in a sense. Um, but then it turns dark. There's some yeah. dark moments in it. And the film overall does that. Not an easy thing to execute. And again, you know, we, we, we tried our best. And, um, you know, and again, we're, we're very, we're, I love the outcome and, and what everybody brought to it. But, you know, I think that's when you must rely on the talent around you, and especially someone like Tom in particular, who, you know, is able to walk that tightrope and, and be funny and be committed to a character mm-hmm. who's very clear on who he is, um, even when he's unclear on who he is, if you will, mm-hmm. um, but is also able to really go there because, you know, he has some distinct moments of self-realization, um, again, yeah. without giving anything away, including an encounter along the way with, an, with another individual that um, just take it to a whole nother level. And I think people will be um, very um, surprised to see what Tom is capable of as an actor. And um, he really did something extremely special. He really did. Um, And, of course, then you've got Tamman. And I'm curious, she's also your wife, Um, co-writer, and a producer. Who gets the final say? Tamman the actor, Sean the director... (laughs) She's the boss. <laughs> I mean, as long as you know who the boss is, you're in good shape and stuff. Um, 
No, no. Um, no, I think we've just always attempted to find a good balance between, you know, a creative partnership, you know, and trust. And, um, and trust is, is built, uh, uh, you know, because there's a lot of sensitivity around, um, you know, in, in working together and especially in the, um, you know, <laughs> not saying that we're doing brain surgery or anything or being imperative like that. But, you know, it's, you know, making a film is challenging and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, brings, again, the best out and the worst out. But I think fortunately it, is, it comes down to trust. You know, I, I believe in Tamlin. I think she's an amazing artist. And, um, and again, it was what a safety net to know that, you know, when push came to shove and we're, we're, we're doing the, the, the fight every day of, of making an indie film and trying to put our blood, sweat, and tears into this and our emotion into this, that, you know, again, she was one of those people that could just bring so much to the table. So um, it, you know, it, worked out, it worked out quite well. And the chemistry between Tamman and Tom, is it's off the charts. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the two of them, I could watch the two of them endlessly just sitting in the front of a Winnebago driving and talking. Uh, because they are the the humor that comes out, it's inherent, it's organic, and it's fresh and it's real. And then also yeah. you, you get some serious moments, but their understanding of each other and timing of delivery and knowing when to wait, just as you would, you take a step back before you open your mouth sometimes, and then sometimes you don't. Um, and true. watching yeah, the true. two of them, it really, it's masterful what the two of them in their exchanges together, it can well, bring. Well, I think, you know, I think, and thank you for that observation. I think something that, again, you know, we attempted to do, and, and whether it uh, hits people over the head or not, I think, um, you know, hopefully people will find, you know, moments entertaining and even funny because there is some quote-unquote comedy in this mm-hmm. along with those moments that go there. But I think that, you know, when when those two characters, Star and Brandon, are being funny, it's not really for this, and this sounds so strange to say this, and I hope this makes some sense, it's not so much to make the audience laugh and to be funny for the audience's sake. They're actually using comedy and that repartee between each other um, to almost use it as its own sometimes defense mechanism, shield, uh, you know, so that they don't have to necessarily deal with their own realities. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a great wall um, when you, you know, throw a quip out or a joke or poke at your sibling, um, you know, in a way to kind of keep them off balance because then it kind of protects yourself. And yeah. I think that's a lot of the, you know, the sort of you know tactics that each are using in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, they, both those actors had a lot of chemistry and were brilliant at being able to do that. Yeah. I know. It's a survival mechanism. And it, it yeah. they just it's effortless the way that they bring that to the table. You know, this is a, a road trip, um, but you shot the the entire film in Oklahoma City, Tulsa area. And you use the beautiful Oklahoma Aquarium. Um, and, yes. you, and then you throw in baby otters. Come on, people. Baby otters, cuteness yeah. personified. If for no other reason to <laughs> see don't a film, work with, don't work with animals and, and kids is the old saying and stuff. And we had all of that in there for our little film. I'll take it. a lot, but you know, cuteness factor. Okay, if you need any reason to see this film as you're listening to Sean and I talk, baby otters. That sure. says it. <laughs> but but baby baby otters sell tickets. That's Actually, right. Baby animals always baby. sell tickets. <laughs> sure. But baby anything. You're you're here and it's a road trip. You're doing it in a in a confined space. You're not really going on a massive road trip from state to state to, from through five or six states. But you and your and your cinematographer, your your DP Justin Henning. I am most impressed with the visual tone, your visual tonal bandwidth. You keep it light. We've got, it's a dark subject we're dealing with, but you counter that with a light visual tone. So I'm curious, your thoughts behind that and what you and Justin went through, especially shooting in the confinements of a Winnebago with so much taking place of two people in the front seat of a vehicle. Uh, You know, how do you keep it fresh? How do you keep the visuals entertaining besides feet up on the dashboard? Um, but maintaining and designing this vi- this light visual tone. Yeah. No. Again, thank you for for even you know um, you know putting that out and realizing 
you know, I look, to be honest, I think, you know, you, you make a lot of plans when you set out to make a film. And, you know, if we had all the resources in the world, you think about all the things that you could do and, you know, that you'd eventually like to execute. And, um, and you know, and some of that comes to fruition and a lot of it doesn't necessarily. Um, but we did, you know, put a plan in place. And I think part of it was, to use your term, that brightness or that lightness to begin with. Um, although we're finding them at a very distinct period in their lives, I think we wanted to kind of see the confines of the experience of the road trip begin to close in around them as mm-hmm. they're forced to deal with each other. So we went from brightness to by the time we get to, and I don't think this gives anything away to like the scenes at the, at the, at the, at the bar, um, the roadside bar, um, the motel, you know, it is, there is a darker tone because mm-hmm. the movie's also kind of taken a darker turn to it. Um, and, and by darker, I don't necessarily mean that doesn't mean there's not an uplift in there. Um, but you know, it's, it, there's, a, there's a different feel. I mean, again, we've kind of stripped away all that, you know, again, the repartee stuff and the, 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 the banter of that all, and they're having to deal with each other. And I think that's what we want the audience to experience in that sense. To the point where when we get to the ending, and again, without giving anything away, there is, you know, there is a brightness. There is a sunrise quality to it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's at the water, um, and there is sort of this rebirth, if you will. And, again, these are these subtle little things that you're not going to hit anybody over the head with it. We're not trying to get too artsy with it, you know, and, and all that. It's just, you know, it's these little subtle things that hopefully, like, you know, innately as an audience member that, you know, you pick up on and just kind of help to support the, again, the experience of that journey. Well, and you also, you play with your color correction with saturation in here as well. And as we move along, and you mentioned the motel scene in the bar, there's a there's some more saturation in here, more and you know some more cinematographic shadowing in certain aspects. But then, as we work our way through that third act, the color intensifies so that when we get to the final scene, it it's it's just like it's like hope personified. It's a new day. Yeah. It's a new dawn, and it's beautiful. And yeah, no, wow. it's so incremental the way that you slowly. It's like you're turning up the saturation a tiny bit, a tiny bit. And uh, at the bar, you're widening out your camera somewhat. It's no longer just the brother and sister. You widen out a little more to show a bit more of the world, but then you bring it back in again. Um, as, you know, Brandon encounters something and he emotionally is shutting down. You really use framing and color to the best advantage here. Well, I think that's a testament to, again, the, you know, working with a very talented cinematographer who, you know, you know, we've worked together to have a vision, but he, you know, really, I, I think the whole point is, and I would love to sit there and take credit for all the great things, but honestly, it's, you know, surrounding yourself with people that are a lot better and more talented than you are. And I'm happy to, to say that, you know, it's like, I, I was very fortunate that, you know, in all of our departments and our art departments, et cetera, that we had really talented people that we work with. The, mm-hmm. the people in Oklahoma were fantastic, you know, working, as you mentioned, with Justin Henning as, as the cinematographer, he was just amazing and brought a whole other level to everything that we were, we were doing. I, I'm sort of also chuckling to myself as you're saying um, that that scene in particular that leads up to the ending and everything. Um, we maybe I should be admitting this, but oh heck, why not? Let's just oh heck, why not? We had very little time to <laughs> we had very little time to shoot this entire film. As again, a lot of indie films, there's never enough time or money, et cetera, et cetera. But um, but again, had you know very committed people that that just gave their all to it, and um, we due to. Um, you know, David and Wendy's schedules, um, as far as we shot the, the day that we shot their scene, um, at, which was at the uh, aunt and uncle's house that we were talking about just previously, mm-hmm. they both had to get on airplanes and head back, uh, to LA, um, because the next day, I think if I remember, if it was like a Sunday or Monday, they both were shooting on their t- respective TV shit series. They both had to get back. It's a way to get them out of there at a certain time. So we're shooting a lot of pages and a lot of content. And then literally when we cut them loose by late afternoon, after we'd shot with them for about a day and a half to get all that, we then had to, the entire production had hightail it from Oklahoma City to Tulsa, which if I'm remembering correctly, is about you know, a good couple hour drive, uh, to say the least, to try to get there before the sun went down, to try to get the ending of our film. <laughs> so, you know, I'd love to say we had days to construct. what did end up being, again, a huge testament to Justin, the DP, 
but to, to, to get that. But it was literally, it was a little bit, it, we knew what we were getting into, but by the seat of the pants, and we got very lucky. It was, it was just, it was beautifully done. And we, again, all engines were working together to try to accomplish that. But it was, uh, I was a race against the clock to say the lead, or we wouldn't have had any to our film. Um, oh, my so God. Kind of crazy how all that works. How challenging was it for you shooting within the confines of the Winnebago? Um, it rattled a lot. So for sound, that wasn't their favorite thing. <laughs> it's a, I, think it, I think it was like a, oh, gosh, I think it was like a 1983, you know, uh, Winnebago. Um, and it, 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 it definitely had some, um, some mileage on it. Uh, by the time we got hold of it and stuff, which it was supposed to, it was you know vintage and you know uh, looked like it had been put through through the ringer, and, and it was like its own character in a sense. Um, but sure, it was challenging. I mean, again, we had a wonderful uh, you know team, our um, you know our, our key grip who constructed a, a, a design to in a rig to be able to shoot uh, you know in it with some ease was extremely helpful. But you know we did we 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 you know we had on our process trailer for some of it. Um, and we were, we were towing it, and then we also, you know, um, they did some free driving as well. You know, all that has its challenges to it, but again, everybody was working together and to do the best we could with what we had, and, um, and you know, it, it, it really does, it became its own persona in the film, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't change anything about that. I think it's, um, it's one of my favorite aspects visually of the film is just it living in that Winnebago, which, again, was its own purposeful thing. It's like its own pod as we yeah. sent them down the river sticks to deal with each other, <laughs> if you will. Um, you know, they're, for, yeah, they're, they're forced to, you know, they're in the confines of that little space. And, um, you know, and it, and, it, and, it, and it was left to, to them by their mother, and she used it for very unique uh, reasons, which are revealed in the film. And I think all that was really fun to play with, too. Oh, my God. Well, before I let you go, Sean, where can everybody see Breaking Four Whales? Obviously, we are not in theaters yet. Unless, unless uh, you know, with Atlanta opening theaters uh, in Georgia, unless it's showing there. But where can everybody see Breaking Four Whales? Great question. So we were, we did, we, we were fortunate with our distributor to get a theatrical release. But of course, when all this went down, um, the theaters closed. So we shifted our plan solely to be online at this mm-hmm. point. Um, so currently, you can see it on VOD, your VOD provider, obviously iTunes, uh, Amazon, uh, DirecTV, etc. Um, just look up Breaking for Whales. Um, you can find it on all, all those different platforms. And um, however, we did find out, and we'll be releasing more information about this, that we're working with a company that actually recently just purchased a number of drive-in theaters across the country ah. um, and have retrofitted them, if you will, um, to, to be, of course, you know, uh, social distancing safe. And they fine-tuned them to, to also be, you know, safe for, you know, um, the, the, the film-going experience. And we're going to be one of the first films that play at um, these various locations. So um, we just finalized that, so we're going to be announcing that shortly. And then literally in the next, like, two weeks, um, you know, they'll also be playing a drive, which is just kind of cool. Like, it's just, it's a very Americana road trip picture, and I think it just fits very nicely into that space also. And obviously, you know, not like, you know, thousands of screens across the country, but, you know, the chance to see it on a big screen is such a unique space also. But for, for anyone else, it's, um, you can check VOD, iTunes, Amazon, uh, DirecTV, et cetera. But this it's is, this oh. is, it's a perfect, it's a perfect film for a drive-in, and I personally have long lamented People doing away with drive-ins. Old is better, people. Old is sure. better. You know, go an analog right. world works really well sometimes. <laughs> no, absolutely. And everything that's old is new again. You know, so it's, it's a really unique time. That's uh, for sure. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I just oh, I'm so appreciative. Thank you. I'm such a fan. So thank you. So oh, much for thank you. Me. I mean, I'm enchanted by the movie. I can't wait to see what you do next. What you and Tamman do next together. Um, and I hope you. I sincerely hope you'll come back on the show. Oh, I look forward to it. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, and please enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Sean. Bye bye. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. And that was writer-director Sean McEwen talking about Breaking for Whales. And now we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk to the very talented 
Paul Pompa. Hi, Paul. Hey, how you doing, Debbie? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to be on here. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about Untreated. Um, what this, it's a powerful film, a little short film, like 18 and a half minutes long, about the power, yeah. about the powerlessness of addicts. And it really gives, through your lens, really gives a compact understanding and enough of an eye opener to people. Um, I didn't know what to expect when I saw it. And number one, it's the production values, beautiful production values, but it's the content, it's the, the story and the performances that really just grab you and do not let go. Um, yeah, yep. So, uh, I, um... such a powerhouse little, little film. Thank you, thank you so much. And uh, I, um, I think that uh, this film uh, depicts the, the the powerlessness, and, and that was the big reason why I made it because I wanted it to to show you know that addiction is a serious disease, and and that you know people just wanting to stop is not enough. You know, people need to be willing and. All these characters, these three characters in the story, they they wanted to stop, but you know there was only really one that that had uh, potential to uh, to get healthy. Mm-hmm. And I like how you broke down your three characters. You have a functioning alcoholic school teacher. Uh, you've got Peter uh, named Penny. You've got Peter who's in recovery, and every day that's a challenge. And then you have Joey. And as we meet yes. each of them, and we learn so much about each one in just a moment, how challenging was that for you to pack so much oomph and emotional information into such a short amount of introduction for each of these characters? That's a great, that's a great question, and I, I have a simple answer. Those three characters are me, my brother, and my girlfriend, who now is my fiance. Wow. Those characters were written as as far I mean, the outcomes are, are different, but the characteristics and and a lot of the subject matter that relates to, to them individually is is experienced. Mm-hmm. How difficult was that for you to put that on paper? Um, it, it wasn't hard. I, I thought it was relatively easy. I, being in recovery myself, I, um, I wanted to, um, I just wanted to get all that stuff down and to tell a story. And I, I, Making this film is is like I, I wanted to to put hope out there. So putting all that stuff that I went through, or you know, family members went through, is you know that that was easy for me. Mm-hmm. Now you're working with Benjamin Murray, who's cinematographer and a co-director with you. How did the two of you develop your visual design of this film? Because as I, as I mentioned at the top, you're very high production values. You have a nice polish to this. Your cinematography is beautifully executed. And your use of color and shadow um, is so well done. But then the way you introduce certain things with the character of Penny and little flashbacks and snippets. And this is a very well-constructed visual design so I'm curious how you and Benjamin put this together yeah Benjamin is very talented he uh I mean he's he's just uh an awesome cinematographer I mean the the grittiness from you know because a lot of it's in the rain Mm -hmm. and uh certain certain um 
moves that he does with the camera and just the lenses. Um, we did have a, a, a nice budget to to spend, you know, to get you know that type of uh, production value. However, um, when me and him were talking about it, because he directed it with me, and you know, so we shared a lot of you know you know opinions back and forth, and we saw eye to eye on a lot of things. And what was easy was that that um, he would. He would shoot the camera, and then he'd come to me, and he'd be like, "You know, do you like this? Do you like that?" Because this is my my first director directorial debut, mm-hmm. and uh, and he told me he was just like, "Well, I think we should do it this way," and then I'd give him my feedback, and and then we we'd come to uh, you know, because I'm I'm all about teamwork. You know, that's that's when when I got together with Incline Productions. Who's you know uh, Benjamin Murray, the the head guy over there. Um, we all worked as a team. Uh, we were very transparent from the beginning, and um, we we just wanted to make a great film, and we, get, we had some good money to do it too. Mm-hmm. Luckily, how did you how did you cast your three pro, your three leads here? Kimberly Michelle Thomas is is fantastic. Um, as you know, as is Nathan Wallace and Slane. I mean, just amazing performances. Kimberly, however, we really see she has such a dramatic shift, um, visible, visibly, you know, shifting a, a total persona uh, when she goes from being sober to having a few too many drinks. And I'm, this is a striking, striking performance from her. So I'm curious how you went about casting. Okay, so she, uh, did we we actually had somebody lined up for the part that um, that she she did, but she came in and she read when we already had somebody, and we were just like, all right, just we, you know. Let her read, you know, and and we'll just go through the motions. And um, so then she walked out, and me having, you know, you know, input, you know, because it, it really, it was my project that I brought to Incline. Mm-hmm. I said to them, I said, you know, I think this girl works out better. And we thought about it, and she came in for a second read because the other girl was really good, but she just didn't have that that humbleness and sadness to her. You mm-hmm. know, the other girl, she was a good actress, but she she just was a little, she was just a little more abrasive. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want her to come more. I wanted Penny to be likable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Penny definitely is a very likable character. We see her as an eager young teacher meeting with the principal and then, a and as you mentioned, humble. Um, there's great humility when she when Penny is commended for you know an idea that she has for for the school for the class um, to help with education, and then we get an explosive total shift in the bar, um, night and day, and she Kimberly did an amazing job, really driving that home. Um, that personality Definitely. difference, uh, really, that whole idea of a functioning alcoholic. And as you watch that, you can stop and think about so many people that you know just in the course of life that that may apply to. And re- she really knocked that out of the park. Yeah, definitely. I, I had uh, confidence in her from the from the very beginning. She's just... She's even in, in in person, off screen. She's she's just a quiet, humble person. So mm-hmm. it was it was a good fit. Now you've had a very interesting journey um, to get to this point now, where you're making films. Um, you know, you and your brother started out over a decade ago uh, doing music. Did you not? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> How do you go? <laughs> definitely. That sounds right. In Jersey. Um, in Jersey of all places. Um, so, yeah. So, Jersey. We're Jersey boys. Uh, nothing wrong with that. I'm a Philly gal. So, 
you know, I'm all for Jersey. Uh, so how do you yeah. how do you go from music um, and your band? How does that bring you to where you are now, making this leap into film production with a film like Untreated? Um, I would say I was always a, a writer. So, I mean, with, with, um, music, you know, you have to write instruments, you have to write, you know, the lyrics and stuff like that. So it's just, I was, it's funny because I got into doing music first as like, you know, just something I love to do. But ever since I was a kid, I'd be writing you know, these stories and and uh, giving them to my neighbors and dropping them in their mailbox. So <laughs> I actually was a story writer before a musician, and then now I'm writing stories again. Mm-hmm. And, like, so it's funny how, how, you know, it's working out. What led you back to writing stories from the music? Did you just decide to stop the music? Because um, uh, I think you were doing music videos for a while. Um, so yeah. going from music vids yeah. into film, natural progression, uh, for so many filmmakers. So you just one day decided you wanted to write stories again, or did you keep writing all along? Um, no, I didn't actually keep writing all along. I, I, uh, I was a little burnt out from the music and, you know, me and my brother were making a, a really, you know, big push. We made a, a couple of nice music videos and it was just exhausting, you know, and then I needed, cause I'm just a creative person. I, I need my mind to be stimulated. So I started writing a true story, you know, with some, with some, um, you know, minor deviations, mm-hmm. but, um, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to keep that creative process going and flowing. And it's like a, a big thing for me. It just, just to express myself through through writing, mm-hmm. you know. So that was that's that's basically why. Now, do you see yourself moving on from because Untreated is a short film? Do you see yourself moving on from a short into feature films, or even turning Untreated into a feature film? Um, well, actually, I'm writing a, a feature film right now, and uh, I'm in the process of a, a rewrite, and uh, so that's. You know that's exciting for me. Uh, that's what I was told. I was told that after you, you know, you do one or two short films, you know, you you try to write a, you know, this is for writers. Mm-hmm. Um, you write a, a feature film. This is what people have told me. You know, when I was on set for on tree, I said, what, what's the what's the next thing now? Because you know me, I, I need to always be going. And uh, and they were like, you should write a feature film. So it took me, you know, about nine months to write something, and now it's in the process of a rewrite. I'm with, with somebody that's that's helping me and coaching me because, you know, this is my first go at it, and there's just a, a lot to learn. <laughs> what What is, for all of those wannabe writers out there that want to make the leap, either, either into writing a short or going from a short to a feature film, and you just said, you know, it's a learning curve. There's a lot of stuff. What is some of the stuff that you have learned in this process as, and as you're now going into a rewrite on your feature? <laughs> uh, humility. Humility is a, a big thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you could think that you have a really great idea and you might have a really good idea, but then, you know, there's, there's so much, there's so much stuff that needs to be polished to be analyzed. If the logic is right, it's just like <clears throat> on like a, a writing standpoint, is you know um, you just like structure, like structure. Like I just when I wrote that short film, it's like I just wrote things that would that's you know like a true story. So it was almost easier to write that than it is to write a, a feature film because there's like, you know, character arc, there's all this stuff that it interests me, but it's, it could be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. 
Now, what about, what have you learned, what kind of leap was it for you stepping into directing along with Benjamin? What was that, what, how has that learning curve been like for you in bringing Untreated to the screen from a directing standpoint? Um, I'd have to, I'd have to say that it gives you great confidence to go in front of people and telling them, you know, this is what I would like for you guys to do. And then for it to be executed is really, is like a, it's a big satisfaction to me just knowing that, you know, my vision is, is being, you know, is, is taken and, and it's being put on the camera and it's, there's a couple of things that I've I've done that was in this film that I've talked to the actors about. Uh, actually, the last scene that was executed perfectly, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wow, this guy's good," you know. And it just you just see you just see the talent when you tell somebody, "Oh, you know, I would like you to to do this," and then they do it better than you actually told them to do it, and you're like, "Wow, that's great." <laughs> <laughs> now, would did you ha- get to experience being in the editing bay while this was being edited? Um, no. Oh, that that's a that's a thrill for the next film. Then that's that's yeah. <laughs> so now, what's going to happen with Untreated? Um, it's the kind of film that should be seen. It, you should should have been picked up for plenty of festivals. Uh, in the short film categories, but because of us being on lockdown and all these festivals canceled, kind of uh, petered out at this particular moment. Um, so do you yeah, do you have do you have plans for when theaters start opening and festivals start coming back uh, to submit at that point? Or just shelve this and move on to your feature. What's the game plan at this point? Well, we've submitted to many festivals. I mean, not so many of them, but you know enough. Enough, where, yeah. You know, and the reputable ones. We we just didn't. You know, we we looked at a bunch of them and seen you know which which ones would be good fits for us. But uh, yeah, due to the fact that you know we're in this the situation, this pandemic. Um, we, you know, all the submissions are in. We're just, you know, trying to figure out, you know, if they're going to actually have it at that date or if they're going to postpone it. But, um, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm off doing, you know, the the writing for this feature film, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm I'm still I still care about this film tremendously though, untreated. So it's like. Kind of like you know, I'd like to see where this is gonna go. Let's you know, let's start ramping up over here. Some of the really good festivals are coming up, mm-hmm. and uh, you just gotta—it's teaching me patience. Oh, if you learn—if you learn how to have patience, please tell me, Paul, because I'm the most impatient person around. Uh, so. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm at Seven Eleven in a line of like three people, and I want to pull my hair out. So. Yeah, I, I don't do lines well. I don't do lines well. It's wait, waiting is, is, I don't do waiting well. No lines, no waiting. Um, so now, through this process, um, what did you learn about yourself as a writer and a filmmaker through making Untreated? Starting with the idea, putting it on paper, co-directing, seeing it go through, working on a bigger scale with the financiers, what did you learn about yourself that you can now take forward, be it in life or into future projects? Um, it's, about, it's, it's about teamwork. I would have to say is that it's not all on one person. you got to really have a good team with you. And me, I'm a very self-sufficient person, and you have to... Somebody said, I think it was Michael from Incline. He said, he goes, you know, this is different than the music industry. He goes, in the music industry, everybody's kind of for themselves. And in in film, everybody kind of has to work together. You know, it's a totally different um, uh, temperament of people. You know, I don't want to say this about all music, but, you know, there, there's a little more of... Uh, 
a competitive nature when it comes to people being around each other, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself going back to music? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I still write a little bit, but I don't, you know, I'm, I'm more into this. I think this is, this is more for me. I mean, as of now, you know, I still, you know, I have a, a nine to five job where, I mean, I, I wish I could be doing, you know, the screenwriting for a living, but, you know, it, it, as far as the music goes, I, I think that, I'm taking this a lot more seriously because I just, I feel like it's, it's right. You know, when you know something's right, it's just mm -hmm. right. Well, something that's definitely right is, is this film is untreated. Um, you did a pat yourself on the back, Paul. You did a really, really good job with this from the story, from your characters um, and to do it all. So, solidly in such a short amount in eight the span of 18 minutes and 39 seconds um you tell yeah you i tell thought it was very story. i thought it i thought it was ambitious to have three main characters in a short film and i was just like well you know we should try to converge them so they you know it could you know they wind up you know being around each other you know in in the scenes mm -hmm. so it's like you know it's a lot of a lot of feature films they have like you know three characters or they'll have you know you know people converge on each other's journeys right. and stuff like that and I was like whoa hold on this is a short film so we're gonna have to you know but that was a part of a big reason is like one of the morals of the the film and having those three characters intersect with each other is that you know addiction is everywhere mm -hmm. you know you don't know like you know I could be in a store and somebody standing right next to me could be struggling and mm -hmm. I could be struggling myself and we're just crossing paths, you know? Mm -hmm. And you really set that up so well in the opening, uh, in the store, in the convenience store. Um, but I think you made the smart move to have the three characters because each one represents a different aspect. Um, and you've got, female in there you you know they're diverse characters so you really did a beautiful job to give uh, to give people that see this a much a better understanding you know as you said it could be the person standing right next to you who's having an issue um you really you should be proud of yourself you did a really wonderful job with this paul well thank you that's i i take that uh take that seriously coming from you. Now, I hear nothing but good things. Now, do we? is there a website for Untreated so people can follow it so that when you do get into some festivals, they'll be able to know where to see it? Um, yeah, there's, I mean, I have an Instagram for Untreated. Um, there's, um, there's a, we're on a, a website called We Are Moving Stories and mm -hmm. the trailer's on there. But as far as posting it up on, like, a Vimo is, you know, once it's done with all its festivals and it's got premiere right. and stuff like that, then we could, you know, put something up there where it has a, an official website. But for now, at least, people can go to wearemovingstories.com and they'll be able to see when, okay, when festivals reopen and you're in a festival. So if, there happen, to, if they happen to be in the area, they can go to the festival and see the film. Yeah, definitely. That would that'd be great. Oh, Paul, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today to talk about Untreated. It's a real joy to get to talk to, to you as a filmmaker and a writer at this stage as you embark on this new chapter in your life. And I can't wait to see. Uh, I can't wait to see your feature get made. And I can't wait to see where you go from here. And I truly hope to have you back on the show again in the future. Yeah, definitely. I would I would do that in a heartbeat. You got such a, a nice, sweet voice. I, I wish I could meet you in person. Are you in Jersey? I am in Jersey. Well, next time I head back east, I'll let you know. Um, okay, cool. Uh, Paul, thank you so, so much. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you, and thank you for, for inviting me on, on the show, and I, I thank Incline Productions for helping me out with this project. 
and uh, I'm very grateful. So you have a wonderful day. You too, Paul. Bye-bye. All right, bye. And that was Paul Pompa, writer, director, untreated, short film. Uh, I really do hope that this finds its way through the festival circuit once festivals start taking place again and that people can see it. It is a wonderful first endeavor. It does have very high production values, but it's the story. And the fact that this is based on his own experiences uh, with himself, his brother, and his now fiance, um, you can see the heart unfold on screen. So that is all the time we have today. Um, in the meantime, you've got a new film to go see that, to, that you can check out, Breaking for Wales. Um, and next week, who do we have next week? Next week, next week we have Bruce Dellis is going to be joining us talking about Raising Buchanan. And I can't wait to talk to Bruce about this film because my dear friend Emmett Walsh is in it. And it is one of Rene Abergenois's final films before his passing. Uh, and Rene, dear, dear, dear man. Um, so... Looking forward to Bruce next week. So, until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.